Well, you may or may not know this, but one of the, the greatest dangers in flying is when an airplane stalls. So a stall is when an airplane is no longer flying fast enough to, to generate, for the wings to generate lift, and it begins falling, uh, often because it is climbing too steeply and it does not have the, the speed to climb as steeply as it is. Uh, so the wings no longer produce lift and it, and it falls. And so stalls have been the cause of a, a number of crashes in history, and pilots need a lot of training to, to recognize what's going on in a stall and to be able to get out of a stall. And a lot of training is really needed to overcome a stall, particularly because the solution to when an airplane stalls goes against really the natural instincts of, of anybody when they're falling. Uh, so if, if your airplane is going down, it, it's headed towards the ground, uh, your instinct is going to be to pull back on the stick or the steering wheel, whatever you want to call it, point the nose of the airplane up and begin to, to climb again. You don't want to hit the ground. It, it makes sense. Uh, but that actually only makes the problem worse uh, because to climb, it, uh, the airplane goes slower. So if it's in a stall from too much speed as it's trying to climb, pointing the nose up is actually going to make the problem worse. So pilots have to be trained to avoid what their natural instinct is and actually point the airplane towards the ground to pick up speed. It's only when they can regain speed, either by giving more power or, or by pointing the nose of the airplane towards the ground, that an airplane can actually recover and come out of the stall. So pilots have to learn to trust the wisdom of others. They have to learn to trust their, their training instead of their natural instincts. And that's really the, the point of why I'm telling you this, is that sometimes we have to learn to, to trust the wisdom of others. Uh, we have to learn to avoid our natural instincts. We have to learn that, that others know best. What we feel and what we think is not always right. Uh, well, this is, uh, though very different, this is somewhat of the experience of, of Simon Peter in our text for today. You can go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. It's going to be in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Well, in our text, we find Peter and his fishermen friends had just spent the night fishing, uh, but with no success, uh, only to have Jesus come to them, come to Peter particularly, after this night of no success, and tell them to go cast their nets out and try to fish again. Well, Peter, as you might expect, and as we'll, we'll see here in a few moments, is not so sure that this will succeed, uh, but he listens to Jesus. And in this meeting, in this encounter, in this interaction between Peter and Jesus, we get a window into or a, a view into the nature of Christian discipleship. So disciple really just means a follower. So discipleship is to follow Jesus. So we get a window into what it looks like to follow Jesus. And at the heart of, of discipleship, at the heart of following Jesus, is a willingness to give up your old way of life to give up the belief that, that you know best, to change your loyalty, and to follow Jesus in obedience and faith. Uh, now, if, if you know something about the Bible, this may seem a bit like a crazy decision because following Jesus means a willingness to give up everything and follow him. That's actually what we see in our text for today. It means to be willing to suffer with Jesus and suffer for Jesus. But like pilots who have to learn to point the nose down, becoming a follower of Jesus is the only way of life. 
So we're going to be examining the idea of Christian discipleship from Luke 5, 1 through 11 today. Uh, So the first thing I want us to do in this sermon is I want to simply just kind of walk through and examine these 11 verses of Scripture, this account of Jesus' meeting with Peter, and I want to help you understand the story better. And now, no, when I use the term story, I do not mean that this is fictional. I mean true story. This is a historical narrative. This actually happened in history, but I want you to help understand this story, this account from Jesus's life better. Uh, And then after we've kind of walked through, after we understand this text a little bit better, I want to go back and show you two things that we learn about Christian discipleship. Uh, So first the story, then two things that we learn about Christian discipleship. I'll tell you what those two things are a little bit later. Um, And the, the, the main idea that I want you to take away from this text today, I think the main idea that Luke wants you to take away from this story today is that Jesus calls you, and Jesus calls you to follow him in faith and obedience. Jesus calls you to follow him in faith and obedience. All right, well, let's turn our attention to this story. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 of Luke chapter 5. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake, The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. So Jesus is now in an area of Galilee called Gennesaret. It's a little bit west of Capernaum. So Capernaum was uh, the, the town, the city that he was in in our text for last week. He is now west of there, and he is on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is also known as Lake Gennesaret, which is the term Luke uses, same place. So he is on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, like we saw last week, in fact, the crowds who are, are there are very excited to see Jesus. But, but notice in the text what Luke says they're actually eager to hear. They are eager to hear God's word. Man, what a testimony that is. The crowds who who come to Jesus as you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, they're not always put in a positive light. Uh, They are not always viewed favorably by the Gospel writers. They often do not believe. But here they are eager to hear from God's Word, and, and so eager, in fact, that they seem to be crowding in on Jesus, pressing in on Him that uh, so much that He needs to find a little bit of an escape to actually be able to teach them. Yeah, so Jesus finds some fishermen, and he gets into one of their boats and teaches from offshore. So they, you know, anchor a few yards offshore, I guess, where the crowds can no longer get to him, and he teaches. So I think this is actually more evidence that the crowds were there to hear from Jesus' word, that they were here to hear Jesus' message. You know, if Jesus is offshore, they can no longer bring their sick, uh, maybe bring those who are demon-possessed to Jesus' feet to be healed, and their really only option is to sit there and, and listen. Oh, well, that is, uh, Luke is pointing us in, in this response of the crowds to, uh, and really, as we'll see later, to the, res- the response of the fishermen uh, whom Jesus encounters. Luke is pointing us to a proper response to God's word, which is an eagerness to hear from God's word, as we'll see le- later, uh, repentance and, and faith in Jesus. And so this is a response, the response of the crowds, as we'll see later, the response of Simon Peter. 
is the response that we should all pray that we would have, that we would all be so eager to hear from God's word. You know, what about these fishermen themselves? We find out in verse 5, which we haven't actually read yet, but we find out that they had been fishing all night. So we know that these men must have been tired. Here they are on the shore washing their nets, presumably getting ready to go home, probably to get a well-deserved nap. And yet Jesus asked them to put out from shore, and they serve Jesus. Despite their exhaustion, they, they obey uh, even though they're tired, if, if I was them, I would probably want to be doing something else. Uh, they take Jesus out in the boat so he can, he can teach. What an encouragement to, to us when we are tired to continue to, to serve and obey. And so that's really the, the scene that, that Luke sets for us. Here we have Jesus out in a boat teaching the people, these, these fishermen out with him. And that takes us to verses 4 through 7 of Luke chapter 5. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, We've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So once Jesus finishes teaching, once he's finishing teaching the crowds, he, he takes his attention from the crowds that are on the shore and, and puts it on Simon specifically. So uh, Simon is the same disciple that Jesus will later name Peter. So Simon, Peter, Sometimes Simon Peter, it is, it is all the same person. Uh, we see later in the text that in addition to Peter, James, and John are also there uh, from accounts of the same period in Jesus' life and other gospels. It's likely that Andrew was there as well. All these men would be among Jesus' 12 disciples, the, the 12 apostles. And I think it's very likely that these men already knew Jesus. I mean, actually, in our text for last week when we're in Capernaum, uh, we see that Jesus goes into Simon, the house of Simon's mother-in-law, or I think Simon's house to heal Simon's mother-in-law. Uh, Peter, Simon, calls him master in this text, so I think it is likely that Peter had some recognition of Jesus's power and authority already at, at this point. This is not likely their first encounter with Jesus. But as Jesus turns his attention to Simon Peter, he tells him to take his boat to deeper water and begin to fish, to, to cast out his nets, to throw out his nets uh, again. Now, this is when Peter tells Jesus, well, we've already been fishing all night and we've, we've caught nothing. Again, remember, I think Peter is probably exhausted by this point. He's been at work cleaning his nets he was anything like me, probably the first thought when Jesus told him this was like, oh great, I'm going to have to go clean my nets again. Um, but, but he listens. Now, I don't, I don't know a lot about fishing, but the little I do know is that the middle of the day is generally not a very good time to catch fish. Uh, the fish are hot, they are not very active, they're lethargic, a little bit like we are when it's really hot in a lazy day. They go to the bottom of the water to, to cool off. And so it's not a great time to, to catch fish. So Peter doesn't have a whole lot of hope for success here. 
in that they've just been fishing at night, which is a much better time to be fishing. And here Jesus is calling him to cast out his nets in the middle of the day. Yet Peter obeys Jesus anyway. He responds to Jesus' words with, with faith and obedience, perhaps some reluctance. But verse 5 says that, that Simon Peter responds, if you say so, I will do it. I actually like the way that some other translations of the Bible put it better. They say that Simon Peter says, at your word, at your word, I will let down the nets. Peter responds to Jesus' word with faith and obedience. Uh, though there does not seem to be much hope of success, though the fisherman Peter knows that this is not a great time to be fishing, they end up catching a great number of fish. Uh, so many fish, in fact, that the nets begin to tear because they cannot bear the weight of so many fish. As the nets begin to tear, they have to, to call in another boat to help them try to haul this great catch of fish up. Uh, the, the, the weight of this fish is so many that actually, even with that second boat, both boats begin to sink under the strain of the fish. Uh, the, the point of, of all those details is to show you that something miraculous, that something supernatural was happening. It was daytime, not a great time for fishing, not caught anything all night, and yet with just one cast of the net, they catch so many fish that two boats cannot handle it all. Well, in this miracle, Jesus is revealing who he is. He is revealing himself to be master and Lord. He is revealing himself to be God. As we saw last week, Jesus has authority over demons, and Jesus has authority over sickness. And we see here that he has authority over nature as well. He commands the fish where to go. As the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians, For by him, for by Jesus, for by him all things were created. He is the creator and he has the power and authority to command the fish where to go. That brings us to our, our last few verses of this story. Uh, so, so Simon Peter, those with him, have just caught a great number of fish. The nets are tearing. The boats are sinking. Uh, what is going to happen? Look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Now, normally in a, in a story in which nets are breaking, boats are sinking, you would expect the author to let us know what happened next. Did the boat sink? Did they actually get to keep the fish? Did they make it onto the boat? But Luke doesn't do that in this story. Luke doesn't do that in this narrative. It's like we got to the most exciting part of the story, and then Luke just starts talking about something else. It's like the movie that, that cuts away at the, the height of the tension. Or like TV shows love to do because they want you to come back and watch next week. Uh, they get to this really intense part of the story and then the show's over and they say, see you next week. Well, that's a little bit like what happens here. We get to the height of the tension, the, the nets are breaking, the boats are about to sink, and then Luke just goes somewhere else and starts talking 
about something else. He focuses on, on Peter's response to Jesus. He ignores what happens to the boats. And we don't really know what happens to the boats until verse 11 when he briefly mentions that they return to land. You know, why does Luke do this? Why does he shift his, his focus away? Well, Luke does this because he's showing what the main point of this story is. Luke's focus is on who is Jesus and not on what happens. The central focus is on the question of who is this man who could command even the fish, not what happens to the boats or the nets. For Luke, that is the exciting part. That's the interesting part of the story. And just who is this who could do this? Who is this that who could have such authority? And friends, this is the, the question that you should be asking as, as you turn your attention to this text as well. The point of this, this story is not to tell you some exciting story about fishermen. It's to reveal who Jesus is and call you to follow him. And so instead of keeping his attention on the boats, Luke directs our attention to, to Peter's response to Jesus. As we see in verse 8, Peter falls on his knees and says, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man. Well, this, if this is your first time reading this story, if this is your first time hearing this story, that's probably not what you're expecting Peter to say. You know, like if I'm sitting in that story, is that what I'm going to say at, at this moment in time? But Peter responds this way because as Jesus causes this great catch of fish, it causes Peter to see Jesus for who he is. He recognizes Jesus' holiness. He recognizes Jesus' perfection. And so he sees his own sinfulness. This is why we just, why Shilpa just read from the prophet Isaiah a few minutes ago. Because this response is so similar to the, the, the response that Isaiah had as he sees a vision of the throne room of God and he gets a picture of the holiness of God. As Isaiah sees this vision of the Lord and angels flying around crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. He responds by saying, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Well, Peter, on that boat, Peter realized that he was in the presence of the King. He realized that he was in the presence of the Lord, and he responded rightly to the Holy God. He confesses his, his own unworthiness. We also see in, in verse 9 that, that all those with him in the boat also respond with amazement at this catch of fish. And this is the correct response to this miracle that, that Jesus has performed. It's to respond with amazement. This is not an amazement. This amazement that those with Peter had is not an amazement that just lasted for a moment. An amazement that faded or just wanted to see the next miracle to be amazed by. So often that's what the crowds do in, in the Gospels. They just want to be amazed again. But this was a genuine amazement that led Simon Peter, that led James, and that led John to leave everything and follow Jesus. They respond in faith. 
their encounter with Jesus on the boat changed them. But notice it is, it's Jesus who calls them to follow him. He tells Peter not to fear. From now on, you will be catching people. In other words, Simon Peter, calling you not to be a fisherman anymore, no longer you to, to go out on this boat, cast out your nets and, and catch fish. Instead, I'm calling you to follow me and to tell others to follow me as well. Become a disciple and to call others to be disciples as well. If you remember last week, Jesus said that his mission was to go and to preach to the other towns as well, to go preach the gospel of the kingdom that others might hear. Well, here Jesus is commissioning others to join him in that task, to spread the good news of the gospel, a commission that continues and that Jesus gives to all of us in his great commission. Go therefore into all the world and preach the good news of the gospel. We looked at that a little bit last week, but here Jesus is calling others to follow him and join him in this task. Well, these men choose to leave everything and follow Jesus. They leave all those fish, which I'm sure that they could have made quite a handsome profit on, quite a lot of money from. They leave their boats, presumably a successful fishing business that would have allowed them to buy these boats and these nets. As we see in the accounts of, of this same story from other gospel writers, they leave their families as well and they follow Jesus. They become fishers of men, they become disciples, and they would spend the rest of their lives following Jesus and calling others to do the same. These are the apostles that founded the church, and in, in many cases, who gave their lives as martyrs for the church because they were committed to following Jesus. Well, in the time when we have remaining, now that we've kind of looked at this story and, and hopefully understood this story a little bit better, this true story, I want to go back and show you two things that I think we learn about discipleship from this story, and two things that we learn about following Jesus. The first is that, that making disciples is a work of God. Making disciples is a work of God. And second, that following Jesus requires sacrifice. Following Jesus requires sacrifice. So, so first, making disciples is a work of God. If you look back at, at verse 5 of our text, you see that when Jesus calls Peter to go into deeper water to, to cast his nets again, and Peter responds by saying, we've worked hard. We've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. Ah, Peter and those with him, they worked hard. They put quite a lot of effort into their fishing. They had boats and nets, a fishing business. This was their profession. They knew what they were doing, but all their hard work did not produce any results. They did not catch any fish. Their own efforts were not enough. It took Jesus's supernatural, miraculous power for them to catch fish. Friends, God is sovereign over all. That is a truth that the Bible proclaims over and over again. As Jesus says in Matthew 10, 29, not even a sparrow falls to the ground without your father's consent. So even for a bird to die and fall to the ground, a father must consent to it. Well, their success fishing that day, but not just that day, their success fishing in all the days preceding that and any days that would follow was in the hands of the Lord. And what was true of their fishing for fish 
would also be true of their fishing for men. By calling them to be fishers of men right after this miraculous catch of fish that they enjoy. And Jesus was saying them to them, do not worry, do not fear, the results are in my control. Your success, the success of the gospel, is in my hands. Disciples will be made by my power. Now, even as I say that, I want to be clear that God does not promise us good results. It's not a promise that the, the ministry of Emmanuel Church of Fujera will bear fruit. It is not a promise that everything is going to go well. And God does not promise that hundreds of people here in Fujera or thousands of people here in Fujera will repent and believe the good news of the gospel. For those of you who have family that are not Christians, God does not promise that your family will believe. We pray those things will happen. We hope that those things will happen. But God does not promise success. We look, could look at the ministry of the prophet Jeremiah, whose ministry did not make the people of Israel change. We could look at God's words to Isaiah. Actually, if you continue to read just past verse 8 in chapter 6 of Isaiah, we find what God commissions Isaiah to. He commissions him to a ministry where his words, as he proclaims the word of the Lord, that God is going to use it to make the hearts of the people hard. It is going to dull their hearing, and they are not going to respond. What Jesus is saying is not that I promise you success, but that we do not have to fear. We do not have to worry. The results are in his hands. He calls us to faithfully share the gospel, to, to pray, to trust him for the results. And we, are, as Christians, are called to do just what Peter and his companions do. We are called to work hard. We are called to be faithful to the task. We are called to faithfully obey Jesus, to share the gospel. We are called to persevere in these tasks, even when we, like Peter and his companions, do not see results. We're called to patiently trust in the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, if you, if you do have family members or friends who have, you have prayed for for years or you have prayed for, for for weeks or months that you have shared the gospel with for a long period of time, but they still don't believe, I would just encourage you to persevere, to keep at it, keep praying, keep sharing, but trust the Lord. The Lord may not save them, but we pray that he was well, that he will, because salvation is in the hands of the Lord. As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 and 7, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. We as Christians are called to do the work of planting gospel seeds, of, of scattering gospel seeds, of sharing the good news of the gospel, of watering and nurturing and teaching to nurture the seeds that were planted, but God gives the growth. And brothers and sisters, if, if everything I, uh, if this is all true, which it is, if it is true that God makes disciples, it also means that your own salvation, it also means that your own salvation is a work of God, and it is not from your own efforts. If you will, turn with me for a moment in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, just go right a little ways in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. And in our text in Luke, we see that it is not Peter, James, and John who go seek out Jesus. 
is Jesus who seeks out Peter, James, and John. He gives them spiritual sight. He calls them to be his disciples. And for those of you who are here this afternoon and who are Christians, know it is because and only because God called you. We read in in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 4, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. He chose us. He predestined us to adoption. If you look over at chapter 2 of Ephesians, Ephesians 2.5, if you're a Christian, it is because God has chosen you, yes, and it is God who made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. And then those famous words from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Friends, salvation is a gracious gift of God. Faith and repentance are gracious gifts of God. Your salvation is a work of God. It is not of your own doing. And so if you're a Christian, that should lead you to humbly give thanks and to praise God for his salvation. It is his work. Friends, making disciples is a work of God. Making disciples is a work of God. That brings us to the the second thing I think we learn about following Jesus in these verses, and that is following Jesus requires sacrifice. Following Jesus requires sacrifice. So we see in in verse 11, in the conclusion of this story, that Jesus' disciples are those who are willing to give up everything to follow him. And I think in this account, we specifically see these followers of Jesus giving up two things. They give up their sin, they give up their sin, and they give up the comforts of this world. They give up their sin, and they give up the comforts of this world. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus in faith and obedience. It's to give up your sin and to give up the comforts or be willing to give up the comforts of this world. So first, to to give up their sin, we see Peter's response to Jesus as we've already examined a little bit. It was humility and it was repentance. If you you read through the New Testament, you'll see over and over again, Jesus and the apostles, they call people to repent. It is the response to the gospel. It's repentance and faith. It's the first step in following Jesus. Now, if you're newer to Christianity, know that to repent simply means to ask forgiveness. It's to to ask God to forgive you from your sins. But it's more than that. It's to give up your sin. It is to stop sinning. It is to turn and go in a different direction. It's to turn towards God. It's to follow Jesus in a new way of life. And this is what Peter does. Peter sees the holiness of Jesus And friends, this is the starting place. It is to be amazed by God, to see the holiness and majesty of the God who has created you and who's created all things. Peter sees the holiness of God and he sees how bad and how sinful he is in comparison. Peter does not go and compare himself to like the fisherman next door who, who just cheated everybody the day before. He does not go and compare himself to like his wayward brother who's disobeyed and and been terrible his whole life. And Peter compares himself to God, and he repents. Peter's repentance proves to be a real repentance, a genuine repentance, because he is then willing to leave everything and follow Jesus. 
His life has changed. His priorities are changed. What he loved most changed. Peter follows Jesus. Well, friends, if if you are here today and you know yourself not to be a Christian, I hope you understand two things that the Bible teaches. I think two things that we've seen over and over again in Luke's gospel. You are in need of saving because you are a sinner and you cannot save yourself. You're in need of saving, but you cannot save yourself. This is what Peter recognized. Friends, the Bible teaches that each man, each woman, each child is a sinner. And because each and every one of us are sinners, we are each deserving of God's wrath and judgment. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent Jesus, his son, to live a perfect life that you cannot and have not lived, and to die a bloody death on the cross, the death that you deserve to die because of your sin. Jesus was raised from the dead three days later to prove that his sacrifice for sin was pleasing and acceptable to God. And Jesus calls you to follow him in faith and obedience. Jesus calls you to repent and to follow him. He has the power to make you alive. Jesus has the power to rescue you from your bondage to sin. You do not. And he does this as you turn to him in repentance and faith. But friends, know that true repentance is to give up your sin. It is to change. You have to leave your sin. You have to be willing to stop your sin. You have to be willing to go and sin no more. Now, we're not going to do this. No human being is going to do this perfectly on this side of heaven. But that is the call to discipleship, a willingness and a fight to give up your sin. And Jesus gives you his Holy Spirit to help you do this. Friends, following Jesus requires sacrifice. You must sacrifice your pride and say that you need Jesus. You must be willing to give up your sin. You must be willing to give up everything and follow him. And that's what we see, the the second thing that we see, that following Jesus requires sacrifice. We must be willing to sacrifice our sin, to, to surrender our pride, and to admit that we're sinners. And second, we must be willing to give up the comforts of this world. Uh, These men, these disciples, they willingly leave everything and follow him. Uh, Friends, following Jesus is the road of sacrifice. That's what it is to follow Jesus. It is to give up earthly comfort to gain heavenly reward. It's to give up earthly comfort to gain heavenly reward. Those who preach the, the false gospel of health and wealth and prosperity, those who preach the false gospel that Jesus wants to bless you with earthly prosperity and give you earthly rewards, that is not true. Oh, those who preach that message, they might point to verse 6 when, when Peter and his friends have a great catch of fish and say something like, see, if you have faith in Jesus, he will bless you. Uh, you will have your great catch of fish, whatever that is. Insert whatever blessing you want and you will have a great catch of fish. Uh, he will give you a great catch of fish as you have enough faith. He will bless you financially. He will give you the job that you have always wanted. But friends, that is not, that is not what this story is teaching. And those who preach that false message have missed the point entirely. They intentionally ignore the fact that Peter, James, and John gave up everything to follow Jesus. And they did not get the rewards of the profit from their great catch of fish. They're not even sure if they ate any of the fish themselves. They gave it all up. They left their business. They left their family. They left their friends to follow Jesus. 
Now, look, God may not call you to give up every comfort of this earth to follow Jesus. It's not as if as soon as you repent and believe, like your bank account magically just goes to zero. It does not happen when you repent and believe. But God is calling you to be willing to give up your earthly comforts to follow him. How you use your wealth might change. Your bank account may not go to zero, but how you think about it and how you use it should change. And Jesus famously called the rich young ruler, a man of, of great riches, to sell all that he had to follow him. The young man refused because he loved his money more than he loved Jesus. He loved his earthly comforts, what he had more than he loved Jesus. And just listen to these verses. Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Brothers and sisters, if you are to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, you must be willing to give up everything and follow him. You must be willing to give up your sin and the comforts of this earth. So this afternoon, maybe as, as you are eating dinner with your family or friends, I'd encourage you to ask that question. Are you willing to give up everything and follow Jesus? Are you willing to give up your sin? Are you willing to give up your comfort? What might that look like? What are some ways that this could look in your own life? It might look like giving up relationships with family to follow Jesus. To publicly profess faith in Jesus may cost you relationships with family and friends. For some of you, it already has. That is difficult. It is a hard, hard thing to have to give up relationships with friends or family because you publicly profess faith in Jesus Christ. But this may be the cost of discipleship or the cross that Jesus calls you to carry. Friends faithfully following Jesus may be giving up a romantic relationship with someone who is not a Christian, even if you really want to be married. It is to remain sexually faithful, though you are in a different country than your spouse. It is to give up and flee from pornography. Instead of Jesus promising you that dream job, if you have enough faith, like the false gospel of health and wealth might claim, that you would get your dream job if you just have enough faith. Perhaps Jesus is calling you to give up that dream job or the promotion that you wanted. Maybe that dream job or the promotion you wanted would take you to a city in which there is no church, a place that there are no other brothers or sisters in Jesus Christ that you know of for hours in any direction. Perhaps God is calling you to give that up. Perhaps he's calling you to give up that job and stay where there is a good church so that you can more faithfully follow him. Perhaps faithfully following Jesus is to give of your time and energy to serve the church. Just go read through the New Testament. Go read through our church covenant in which we try to summarize some of the New Testament teachings. It calls Christians, the New Testament calls Christians and church members to serve and love one another. Perhaps faithfully following Jesus is to give of your time to regularly meet with a fellow brother and sister in Christ to help encourage them to more faithfully follow Jesus themselves. Maybe it's to sit and to listen to a brother or sister in Christ who is hurting and who just wants a patient and a kind and a listening ear. 
And friends, faithfully following Jesus is to obey even when it is costly. And friends, if there is something that you are not willing to give up, whether that is money or relationships or respect or comfort or anything else, well, like the rich young ruler, it reveals that you love something else more than you love Jesus. The life of Christian discipleship is a road of sacrifice. It is a heart that is willing to give up everything and follow Jesus. But friends, we do this so that we might gain an eternal reward. And brothers and sisters, praise God that he has loved us with a sacrificial love. Praise God that he has loved us with a sacrificial love. He loved us so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 Jesus did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10.45 So brothers and sisters, if you are here and there are things that you are struggling to give up to follow Jesus, remember the love and example of your Savior who gave his very life for you. Remember the gospel. It is the gospel. It is to remember Jesus' work on the cross that is the fuel of the Christian's obedience. It is what fuels the life of discipleship. There will be times when you fail. There will be times when it is really hard to give things up. There's, there are times when you will not do it for a season. But you have a Savior who has redeemed you so you can humble yourself and repent and ask for his, ask for his grace to obey the next time. The life of discipleship, faithfully following Jesus, is a life of sacrifice. But Jesus calls you to follow him in faith and obedience, to be willing to give up everything. And we do this because of who he is and what he has done. Like Peter saw Jesus for who he is, we see God for who he is and what he has done for us by sending his very son to die for our sins. And so we follow in faith and obedience. It is worth it. Let's pray.